Thanks to Headspace for supporting the Apple Bits XL. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditation in an easy-to-use app. For a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation, go to headspace.com slash applebits. All right, everybody, let's get to the show! What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Apple Bits XL. Brian Tong here, a.k.a. BTZ, doing a nice, slow and easy. It's everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the show. And if you are a first-time listener, hey, high five. Good job. But also for everyone who's been here from the beginning, who just started recently picking up the show, thank you so much. This is where we kind of talk about all the latest and the biggest news inside the world of Apple, the greater world of tech as well. And we've got a lot a lot, a lot cooking this week because, see, last week the show was about me talking with Apple about the new iPad Pro, and then obviously we had the iMac release, we had the Apple TV 4K release. While those things happened, then there were completely major leaks about the new 2021 MacBook Pro, which we'll talk about. There was a leak about the new Apple Watch Series 7, and then leaks about a new potential Mac Mini Pro, and then an M2 Mac Pro, along with everything else happening, um, there was just so much going on. So this is the episode where we're kind of going to get you caught up, get you up to speed, and set the table up for WWDC 2021, which will be on June the 7th. Now, Apple did announce that, so we're going to get into all that. But before we do, we got some orders of business. First of all, love having you call in and be a part of the show. All you got to do is record a voice memo, send it into Show at gmail.com. That's Apple Bits with AZ. We got a few calls. There's just a lot of stuff going on right now that I'm going to hold on to some of those calls that still make sense. We're going to put them on the next show, but tell me where your name where your name is. <laughs> tell me your name, where you're from. Keep it around a minute to a minute 30. Get your points out, your thoughts, your comments, your criticisms, and then we'll put in the show and talk all about it. So Show at gmail.com is how you call in and be a part of it. Also, you got to thank you for supporting the show. Who could that be? You, patreon.com slash Tong is how you can support this podcast. It starts off at $2 per month, goes up to $5, which is like a cup of coffee per month, if that's the value I give you. $10, $25, and the $100 platinum Apple level. What you get is early access to content, bonuses at every level, and a completely ad-free version of this show. Actually, what you're hearing right now, you won't even hear it if you get the ad-free version of the show. Or duh. So, Patreon.com slash Brian Tong is how you support this. Thank you so much. It supports all my work and the podcast. It's kind of a, a combination of things, but you have allowed to keep me in the game, and I can only say thank you. Okay, so let's get into the news this week, and we're going to first start off with Apple officially announcing that their WWDC, the Worldwide Developers Conference, will kick off on June 7th with a keynote address. Now, this is a normal thing. We had already known that they were going to go from June 7th to the 11th. There's a lot of different workshops that developers have access to to talk directly with Apple reps to kind of learn the ins and outs and talk about some of the new stuff that they're going to unveil at this show. So the keynote itself will start on Monday, June the 7th, 10 a.m. Pacific time. That would be 1 p.m. Pacific time. You know that on my YouTube channel, which many of you come from and know about, and that's how you got to the podcast, or it goes kind of both ways. It's it's kind of a comprehensive thing. Well, that's where we're going to do our live stream. It's going to be fun. We'll do like a pre-show. We'll play the auto stream, have fun, have reactions to it, and then get your calls at the end. I think it's just a really cool experience for you to 
kind of talk about what stood out and sometimes vent and it can be cathartic, but I think Apple's just absolutely crushed their all of their keynotes since the pandemic hit. Um, this is still going to be an all digital event, so there will be no in-person stuff, at least for this year at WWDC 21, or as the developers affectionately call it, dub dub. I will not permanently adopt that uh, vernacular, dub dub, but I think that we should actually legitimately do like a drinking game during the keynote, and I don't even drink, and so that could be dangerous for me, but I'm curious how many times they actually say dub dub. I think the over under has got to be around, hmm, depends who goes on stage, uh, who talks. It's got to be at least three, somewhere in three to five range. I might put it at four. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. So anyways, the keynote, June 7th, 10 a.m. On one of my videos, I think at one point I said Tuesday because normally their keynotes are on Tuesday. It's Monday, June 7th, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern time. So we have that all set up. Everyone's going to plan and put that on their calendars. But what happened is even when Apple officially releases and drops new product, wow, was it Friday of last week? I guess it was. It's it's basically been a week. New M1 iMac Pro, new M1 iPad Pro, Apple Apple TV 4K, the new Siri remote, they dropped all those. And while that was happening, even like a, a day or so before the new product's finally arrived in people's hands. This is before the early group got to review them, and I was fortunate enough to do that, so you can check out my reviews. Um, Marta Gurman dropped a cornucopia of information that is relevant to what's happening at WWDC, and in his report on Bloomberg, he's been kind of tracking what's been going on with the new potential 14 and 16-inch MacBook Pro models that we're expecting to see at 2021, but even bigger... We're pretty much expecting to see new MacBook Pros, according to rumors and reports, at this year's WWDC, which is not normal because normally it's going to be a software-focused event. You get iOS 15, iPadOS 15, tvOS 15, uh, watchOS 8, and then macOS, I think it's at 12. Jeez, I mean, you got these, these things that are like embedded in my brain. So according to Mark Gurman from Bloomberg, friend of the show, they're expecting the new 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pros to get a new chip, right? A new iteration of the M1 chip. Now, we don't know if they're going to call this the M2 or the M1X, but the new chip itself is said to include a 10 core CPU with eight high performance cores and two energy efficient cores with 16 core or 32 core GPU options. Now, what did I say six or 16? 16 or 32, my brain's flying all over the place. Okay, this is how you compare that with the current M1 chip. The current M1 chip is an eight-core CPU, and it's four high-performance and four energy-efficient cores, and then a 16-core GPU. This new one would be eight and two, and 16 or 32 for the GPU. Now, that sounds like a pretty big step. I don't know if it's going to be a crazy revolutionary step but it's going to be a you're going to get major gains performance from this it doesn't feel like you would say this is a next next gen chip but it's definitely the next uh okay fine next next gen let's just say it's the next iteration but it doesn't seem like that huge leapfrog to another generation but that chip is expected to be in these new machines the other kind of cool tidbit about this is that these new chips, we're going to call them affectionately the M1X because it kind of feels like a tweener, 
but this new chip expected for the new MacBook Pros will also support up to 64 gigs of memory compared to the current maximum of 16 gigs in the M1, which is what is in the new iMac, which is in the new iPad, and then the previous MacBook Pro 13, MacBook Air, and previous Mac Mini. So it'll also be able to support 64 gigs of RAM. It'll also support additional Thunderbolt ports for more expandability and connectivity, and that's key because we've heard a lot of rumors and reports that the new MacBook Pro will get more port compatibility. Now, in an early report when Mark Gurman was talking about the MacBook Pros, I feel like maybe it was like two or three months ago, he did claim that it would have a redesigned chassis, a new body, which it seems like Apple's really going for this kind of flat, almost, I guess you could say, look at the design elements of the iPad Pro and then the current iPhone. And it's kind of that flat edge, flat body, rounded corners, very symmetrical. That is what is looks like will be also incorporated into the new design and new chassis of the 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pro. It's also gonna come with more ports, including an HDMI port, a physical HDMI port, an SD card slot, and a MagSafe magnetic charging cable, plus reports that everyone is kind of saying that don't expect the touch bar to be a part of these new MacBook Pros. And to that, I say hallelujah, but not everyone feels that way. I, I've come to learn that it's kind of more of a 50-50 proposition. Some people love the touch bar. I'm not one of those people. I'm not here to hate on it. It's just not my thing, and it's never been my thing from day one. Uh, but that's also not expected to arrive. So we got new MacBook Pro 14-inch and 16-inch potentially coming to WWDC, making it one of the first times in a long time that we've seen significant hardware. Now, what makes sense to me is that when you're talking to developers, what is their, really their go-to Mac? It is the MacBook Pro to be portable, to have the power. So this makes sense, at least to the audience that they're gonna be talking to at the show. And so we're gonna wait and see. June 7th is basically a little a little over a, a week away. Where are we at right now? What day are we at? Are we at 28 or something? Who cares? Um, yeah, so basically just a little over a week and we will find out, but that's exciting. Now, German wasn't done because not only did he want to talk about the new MacBook Pros, he decided to say, oh yeah, I also have some new information on the next generation MacBook Air. So these again are trying to target similar processing 10-core CPU with the split of the eight high-performance and now two efficiency cores, okay? In addition to that, for this new Air, from a graphical standpoint, um, it might increase something to around 9 or 10, according to the report. Nothing as high as 32 or 64 or anything like that. So if that's the case, this MacBook Air, using the similar CPU but maybe a more limited GPU compared to what we are expecting to see from the 2021 MacBook Pro, would make sense to kind of slot it that way. We're not looking to do high-end graphics on the MacBook Air, but also reports uh, from John Prosser and others have said that this new MacBook Air, um, not expected to be seen at WWDC, will also be thinner and then may come in different colors. Like I kind of showcased that on a video maybe a week ago where the color setup and scheme could look a lot like kind of the iMac line where you have these softer pastel tones and then a white border around the screen. We'll see if that comes true. If even some people might be throwing out the idea that 
Uh, there might not be a MacBook Air anymore. They might just call it the MacBook and make it kind of more consumer and then MacBook Pro. There's still a lot of questions to be figured out, but at least that's what's being talked about for the MacBook Air. Um, it doesn't, we don't know if we're going to see it by the end of this year, but I would not be surprised if we do. Uh, Apple knows the sales data. Maybe things have tailed off, but if they haven't and they're still strong, Apple could push it out, but I would not be surprised if we saw it a year later, again, towards the end of the year, this new next generation MacBook Air. Like this year is the year of the Mac. I can't tell you how many times I've said it from early on, right when the M1 hit last year, I'm like, oh man, 2021, that's the year of the Mac. It's the return of the Mac, as we like to say. Um, So a lot of exciting things going on there with the MacBook Air. But we're not done yet. Now, I'm kind of leapfrogging around a few things. Let's go back to the MacBook Pro. I forgot to mention this, that in the what we're calling the M1X model for the 14 and 16-inch MacBook Pro, other rumors claim that they're going to completely get rid of the text that down at the bottom of the screen that typically says MacBook Pro, and it's going to go away. And I thought that was really interesting because, remember, Apple took off the Apple logo of the M1 iMac, and it got a really harsh reaction from a lot of people. I was surprised how many people really wanted that logo on it. Some people said it felt more balanced. I think some people made it feel like, hey, this is what an iMac is supposed to look like. I actually love it without the logo. I think that's cool. The MacBook Pro text on a MacBook Pro is not as bam in your face. It is more subtle. It's there. But the reports say that Apple could be removing that logo as well in the M1X chip-based 14 and 16-inch MacBook Pros. And this is what I really love about these moves. Apple's telling us something about their design philosophy here. Apple is at the point now where they're just saying, hey, our products are so iconic. We don't even need to tell you what they are. We don't need to put a logo on it. You're just going to know. And I think that's really interesting because I prefer products without logos. Like some people are like, oh, you said that and you're wearing like a Playa de Coms shirt with a with their classic logo. And there's some logos that I really love, but I don't need them. I mean, there's plenty of stuff where I've I've learned not to buy logos for some of my clothing just because uh, when I do projects, they're like, we don't want any logos on it. So taking away the word MacBook Pro, I really hope that doesn't bother anyone. Now, I could see the iMac logo. It kind of like put it right there in the center, but the, the MacBook Pro text, no one cares about that, but it shows that even on the AirTags, there wasn't like an in-your-face Apple logo. The uh, home, sorry, HomePod, the AirPods Max, there was no major Apple logo anywhere on those headphones, but everyone knew that they were Apple products and they know because no other headphone really looks like them. And so this is kind of a, a real, I don't think it's cocky at all, but it is kind of a confidence that they're saying, hey, we're so iconic that we don't need logos on our products and you're still gonna know they're Apple products. I think it's actually kind of cool. I actually dig that. And in overall, their design is iconic um, from top to bottom in general. So we have that. Okay, do you want to hear like other scoops? Because that was just some of the stuff. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the Mac Mini and the Mac Pro in a little bit, but what about this? Amongst all these things that have been dropped on our heads, John Prosser also said, uh, hey, you know, you guys might be talking about MacBook Pros and MacBook Airs and things, but uh, I have leaks based on CAD files and designs of the new Apple Watch Series 7 that I want to show you. And so I covered it in one of my recent videos for the WWDC 2021 preview. Prosser released what is believed to be 
the new completely redesigned Apple Watch Series 7 now is not drastic, but again, it follows that design philosophy of kind of the, the flat slate, flat edges, nothing like the curved edges that the current Apple Watch has, uh, more of that flat edge like you see on the iPhone or the iPad Pros. And then also, you know, kind of making the, the Apple Watch itself a lot more low profile, but it actually looks pretty slick. Like I welcome this new design. I don't, there's no reports per se if it means we're going to get a larger screen, but just think of it as a flatter, cleaner Apple Watch. And I think it looks really good. Now, according to him, this is what we're expecting to see in the Apple Watch Series 7 later this year. So you got the flat edge design, the cur- the curved corners, but still flat edge. Um, and yeah, I- I'm feeling it. I think it actually looks, hmm, what's up? I don't want to say masculine, but it just kind of looks, it looks a little more edgier. And I think it looks actually stronger. So we'll see what happens. You know, we don't know exactly what software is going to kick in for the Apple Watch yet. I, I kind of have some ideas of what I want to see. Uh, we'll do kind of a WWDC 21 preview episode to kind of dig into. It's also good just to kind of wait till everything leaks out. We got about a week out, but what I find really interesting is that we haven't heard too much. Uh, last year, someone had broken into like the files and there were plenty of leaks in iOS that revealed so much about WWDC, but this year is not the case. So A, I think it's going to be really exciting from a software standpoint. And then B, new MacBook Pros. I mean, that's, what is it? Five OSs and a new MacBook Pro. That's chock full of goodies at WWDC. The other thing about the Apple Watch though, that this is what's interesting. Okay, so the conference is coming. It's right around the corner. Well, instead of waiting for the conference, and you would have thought Apple might show off something like this for the Apple Watch, maybe because there's so much stuff going on with the Apple Watch. Well, Apple unveiled new accessibility features that are coming soon um, to the Apple Watch. And you might be like, okay, well, how does this apply to me? I think these features can actually be used by everyone. So one of them is called assistive touch, assistive touch with the Apple Watch. And it's going to allow users to control the Apple Watch without ever touching the display or the controls. So all the fine-tuned you know, sensors inside of it, the gyroscope, the accelerometer, the heart rate sensor, they're going to be able to get this. They're going to be able to basically detect some of the subtle differences in muscle movement and tendon activity. And these movements are going to allow the user to navigate a cursor on the Apple Watch display using like hand gestures, whether it's like kind of pinching fingers together or moving your fingers to move around like or clenching your hand. These basically air hand gestures will allow you to control your Apple Watch. And this is going to be at least initially geared towards accessibility. It's called assistive touch on the Apple Watch um, for people who might have, you know, limb differences and just really even something as simple as like answering a call more easily or controlling some on-screen prompts or notification center even, you're gonna do it all with your hand. It's it's really cool. If you go to apple.com slash newsroom, they actually put up a little video clip that shows off exactly what I'm talking about. And I was just like, damn, that that was fascinating. In addition to that, they also teased that eye tracking support is coming for the iPad and iPad OS. So that make it possible for people to basically control the iPad using their eyes, kind of like using gaze. Um, so where it detects where your eyes are staring at, um, or glancing at, then you could perform actions like a tap when you rest your eyes on a spot. This is all coming to iPad OS. 
Um, there's also something where you could explore images with voiceover. So let's say you use like a screen reader for blind and low vision communities. And by doing that, it could now explore more details about the people, text and data on those images and present them. So voiceover could could help ad- in addition to that, but basically give you, analyze the images that you see and give you context with them um, and give descriptions with them. Uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's crazy. There's also going to be a made for iPhone hearing aids and audiogram program to support those devices. Um, MFI hearing devices program is what they're going to do. So similar to kind of like how there's like Bluetooth controllers, there's going to be the ability to now talk with more iPhone hearing aids and audiogram type uh, equipment. So that's, again, boosting up accessibility. There's also one that's um, called background sounds. So everyday sounds, they talk about how they can be distracting and discomforting um, for some people. And so they're introducing this new background sounds feature to help minimize those distractions and help users stay focused, help people stay calm. So this can even help with just mental health and anxiety um, with bright noises or dark noises, um, ocean, rain, or stream sound, streamings of sounds. So I think this is going to be something interesting. I mean, I use this to relax to in the background. And so this is going to be a feature that is built into the iPhone. You also even have stuff like uh, the new emojis are going to have customizations to represent people with oxygen tubes, other hearing aids, cochlear implants, and a soft helmet or headwear. And this is really interesting because, you know, I think nothing sucks more when you don't feel like when they come up with like avatars and you can't really make yourself. And so this is another way for people to feel like, hey, like I am seen and I I think that's really important. And so they still haven't brought the blonde streak to the hair uh, features yet. I'm I'm waiting for that, but... I'm happy that these these other people can get get all of that. So there's just so much more that they're doing with accessibility. And I just think it's it's awesome and it's fascinating and it's good for them. One other thing with the Apple Watch coming is that recently, again, this is right before WWDC, Spotify, Deezer, and Tidal all announced that their Apple Watch-based apps will now be able to download and do offline playback of tracks on Apple Watch if you're a premium subscribers for those services. This has not happened before. This has been one of my top requests. Let me download content onto the Apple Watch. Now, the Apple Watch, I believe, I think it has 32 gigs of storage. Um, but if you got more apps that are able to download content locally, it makes the Apple Watch even more independent. And I've been screaming about this for years. Apple can blow the Apple Watch up and make it really what it i think it has around a 25 to 30% adoption rate within just the apple community but if they want to get this to people who don't use iPhones because it is the top selling smartwatch even though it's only on the iPhone or compatible with the iPhone because that's how you have to set it up make the apple watch completely independent from the iPhone and more and more steps show this i mean you can even download apps independently it is a little harder and trickier onto their apple watch without you know managing it through the app on your phone you can do podcasts already and download them. Now you're talking about third-party programs to download music, you know, other apps where you can download map information and things like that. That We're getting there. We are getting there. And uh, I don't know if we're going to see it at WWDC, but if there's a new design of the Apple Watch coming, I would love to see them just kind of break the chains that it has to the Apple uh, to the Apple iPhone and allow anyone to get an Apple Watch. 
All right. Big thanks again to Headspace for sponsoring this podcast. Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep, focus, act, and just be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. So you probably tried meditation before and maybe it didn't work, right? Or maybe you felt like you were doing it wrong. If mental health is part of your self-care plan this year, you owe it to yourself to try Headspace. If people keep telling you to try meditation and you're like, when? Like, when am I going to have time for this? Well, you should check out Headspace. I don't know who needs to hear this, but here you go, guys and gals. You deserve to feel better than you do today, and you can with Headspace. They make meditation simple. Now, Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better if you're overwhelmed. Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. If you need some help falling asleep, well, Headspace has a wind-down sessions that their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations that you can do with your kids. Now, Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads, me included. Now, Headspace can make it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule. We know we're all busy anytime, anywhere. But I like just how simple, really clean and colorful the app is. It's not too busy. And I tried a bunch of the different meditations, but my favorite ones, the go-tos for me, one of them is called Feeling Overwhelmed and the other is Burned Out. And I need that because I go hard doing this stuff and there are times where I just need to like shut it down, calm my mind down, headspace, find that med- like five to 10 minutes. It makes all the difference. Headspace does that for me. So it just helps to slow me down and calm me, but then I have to get back to work. But I think it always helps center me for that moment. You deserve to feel happier and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash applebits. That's headspace.com slash applebits for a free one month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash applebits today. All right, all right. So, You say you want more. You want more leaks. You want more rumors. Again, this is the week before WWDC. Well, John Prosser might have put out the Apple Watch Series 7. He also put out a first peek based on, again, CAD designs and information. He has renders of what is believed to be the new high-end Mac Mini. Let's just call it the uh, Mac Mini Pro for now. It'll have additional ports. It'll also have the same Apple Silicon chip that is expected to be coming out in the new redesigned 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pro. So that is the 10 core CPU, eight high performance, two efficiency ones. Okay, now there's new renders that he put up. Um, I put them in my most recent video, but it it does look pretty much like the same form factor as the Mac mini, right? It's still gonna keep its design language because look, what Apple did with the iMac tells us that the history of the product and the design matters and they're not gonna all of a sudden just take off the chin and it really makes me wonder is even though there are all these renders for iMac Pro and everyone expected and really wanted the renders to be true could they still bring even a small subtle chin to whatever this rumored larger screen iMac Pro is I don't know I'm just saying I mean I don't think they're just gonna make it look like a display that looks like the Pro Display XDR. I mean, there's a lot of people that want that, but now that they've shown us that the design language matters to them 
uh, from a historical standpoint, even look at like the original Macintosh SE, it, technically the proportions of it have a screen and like a chin or a, a lower body. So anyways, this Mac Mini here, we're going to call it the Mac Mini Pro, is expected to look similar to the Mac Mini, but have a smaller footprint, just be smaller overall in size. It's going to still have all the same ports as the current Mac Mini, but it will have two additional Thunderbolts. So that's four Thunderbolt ports, two USB-A ports, an Ethernet port, and an HDMI port. Now, one thing that's missing from these renders is a potential audio jack on this new Mac Mini Pro. That's nowhere to be found here uh, based on the renders. And also, it's going to come with that kind of magnetic power cable that we had on the iMac. The M1 iMac now has kind of that snap-on magnetic cable in the back. The Mac Mini Pro, we're just calling that affectionately, because that's not the official name. But the Mac Mini Pro is expected to have that same cord or same connection. And then what makes it interesting to me is, even though these are early renders, remember that, okay, the M1 iMac does not have an Ethernet port on it. It's too thin to, quite honestly, even iFixit. iFixit tore open the new M1 iMac, and basically it showed that there's plenty of space inside there to do other things, like lots of space. And that's probably one of the reasons why I'm like, why why couldn't we get an SD card slot in there? I knew there was something. I knew they could put in there, but hey, they didn't. They let their research tell them, you know, what to do. But with this Mac Mini, if there's an Ethernet port on the physical body of it, why not do what the M1 iMac did? That has an actual, you know, power brick on the cable connection. Then you could actually connect Ethernet onto it so you don't have to wind it all the way up to the top of your desk. You just have it on the ground. I don't know if they're going to follow that same philosophy or not, but I actually really like that. Some people don't like that. I love that. Uh, so we'll see what happens. The other cool design element here is that it's not just going to be a piece of aluminum. The renders show that the top of this Mac Mini Pro would feature like a plexiglass top. So kind of add a little shine, add a little accent and design element on it. There's also been reports and rumors Prosser has heard that Apple's even testing a potential two-tone color option similar to the 24-inch M1 iMac. Now, some of you might be like, yeah, that's sick. And other users are like, no, hell no. I do not want that. Uh, you, you might not want that. But... Right now, the, the render shows it off in kind of this classy white. Mac Mini Pro, not expected to show up at WWDC. Also, may not even happen. Bloomberg has reported on this product for a while as well and says Apple could scrap the idea of this. But I think with user comments, I think there's a solid audience that is definitely excited about this. Okay, we also talk about the Mac Mini. We got to talk about the Mac Pro. German in his complete just bomb drop of information says now hey uh you know how we talked about that apple cpu for the new macbook pro uh, with 10 cores right we're talking about the eight cores high performance the two core efficiency cores um how about i i up that ante according to him apple is working on an updated model of the new mac pro the last time it was released was in 2019 towards the end of the year remember it had the wheels <laughs> Was it those wheels were like $150 per wheel, like $700 for four wheels, I swear, or something stupid like that. I feel like it was something like crazy like that. Anyways, okay, tangent. So this new Mac Pro may feature an Apple Silicon chip with as many as 32 high-performance cores and up to a 128-core option for graphics, according to this report. 
That would be a freaking beast. Now, Bloomberg has maintained this since they first reported on it a while ago and backs it up that Apple's actually working on two new Mac Pro models right now. Both are going to feature this complete redesign to make it smaller. I mean, everyone's talking about the fact that it its design could be more like and take inspiration from the Power Mac G4 Cube. It's the computer that's in the background of my videos. To me, one of the most iconic Macs, and it was way ahead of its time, but it actually opened up the door for the Mac Mini, and Apple learned a lot about that. Even, even packing everything in a computer like that, it allowed them to learn how to pack a computer that tight into the base of the... Um, I call it the Sunflower iMac, but kind of like the Pixar lamp iMac that you all remember with the movable neck. That one, yeah. So according to the report, Bloomberg says not only are there two models in the works, not only will they feature a new redesign, but they plan in coming in either 20 or 40 computing core variations. And how does that number add up? Okay, first of all, one of them could be a 16 high-performance core. The other one could have... 32 high performance cores and then the option for these efficiency cores could be 4 or 8. So what we're kind of thinking is we're pairing off okay, one of the maybe the entry level one will have a total of 20 cores in the CPU, 16 high performance and 4 high efficiency. And then the higher end model will have 32 high performance cores and 8 high efficiency cores which would come up to 40. Now the two models are codenamed 2 Jade 2C die and Jade 4C die. Again, 20 to 40 computing cores. When we're talking about graphics, they would have options for either 64 core or 128 core GPUs, according to this report. Um, if you look at what Apple has right now on the table, it would at least the higher end would be easily able to top out the current 28 core maximum offered by the current Intel based Mac Pro. And then you got higher end graphics chips, which would most likely, because it's all integrated, which makes it more optimized, it would replace the AMD graphics card options as well. Maybe they figure out a way to split that up if you want to customize it. We don't know yet. Again, this is very early, but what we do know is that this thing's going to be a bad boy. This thing's going to have a whole lot of power. So there you go. Tons of hardware information to chew on. The most current one would be a new M1X MacBook Pro that would be unveiled at WWDC if all reports hold true. And then kind of in the back burner, we got the MacBook Air next generation. We have the Mac Mini Pro, which would be the next generation of the Mac Mini or kind of a higher end version. And then you have the Mac Pro, which clearly when I see 20 to 40 CPU cores, that that feels like an M2. That feels like a next, next generation chip. So we'll see what happens there. Also, what is a show without iPhone 13 news? We got some new details, kind of some new updates of what's going on with that. First up, a report from Digitimes says that TSMC, which is the really kind of the longtime chip supplier for Apple's iPhones, reportedly has started production of the A15 Bionic chip for the iPhone 13. Now, here's some cool tidbits about the chip itself. Now, the A14, which was in the current iPhone 12 and 12 Pro, was the first to use Apple's new 5 nanometer process, miniaturizes it, optimizes it, more efficient. Well, the A15 Bionic will be based on that same process, but 
supposedly they're using an enhanced version of that process, which will potentially mean improved performance and improved power efficiency within that new five nanometer process for this new A15 Bionic chip. That's a win-win for users, quite honestly, whether um, it happens or it stays the same. But the iPhone 13 obviously expected to come around sometime in September uh, and line up with previous years other than last year, which was obviously an exception because of pandemic. And we're still kind of feeling our way out of it in many areas. But according to the report, the A15 Bionic chip is being manufactured as we speak with the ETA time to be ready, not only in the second half of the year, but sometime in the fall, which would be perfect for the iPhone 13. We also know that plenty of reports about the display. Apple's expected to be using a LTPO display, which will now, it's an OLED-based display with the LTPO technology, which would enable the 120 hertz ProMotion refresh rate finally on an iPhone. Also. This new technology could open up the door with Apple having an always-on display on their OLED display, which we've been waiting for as well. These two features are not obviously officially confirmed, but that's what we're hoping for and expecting. But the big news here, the processor is being is going through manufacturing right now and will be ready in time for the launch. Another feature for the iPhone 13 that I'm excited about We had the sensor shift, the optical image stabilization that they showcased off for the very first time in the iPhone 12 Pro Max. Now, that bothered me at the time, and it still does because you had an iPhone 12 Pro and iPhone 12 Pro Max, and they're both pro cameras, pro phones, but they had different cameras. I I don't like it when they split the technology between two models just because of their size. Like, if it's a pro, give it all the pro features. Well, the Pro Max had that awesome sensor shift optic image, optical image stabilization, and it's subtle, but in my test, it makes a difference. It really makes a difference. So the report is that iPhone 13 models later this year, all of them are expected to be including this new sensor shift optical image stabilization in the camera. And I remember at the time when it came out only for the 12 Pro Max, I'm like, okay, do did it really just not have space or is this an Apple thing where they're trying to differentiate the product just so you bounce up to the higher level if you want that camera? And I'll tell you it was tempting, but in the long run, it wasn't enough for me to be like, I gotta get the 12 Pro Max. And also I don't like big, big ass phones in my pocket. Well, all of a sudden a year later, it can fit into every single iPhone 13. I don't know, we we expect them to do the mini. Um, We'll see if it works in the mini as well, but okay, I'll be real with you. If it works in the mini uh, this year, it definitely could have been put in the iPhones last year. That's that's pretty clear. But then I'm already past that and I'm looking towards next year, so I'm not gonna get mad at them for that, but I'm just gonna roll my eye and go like, really guys? Like, really Apple, y'all did that? That's not cool. Also, Apple is set to surpass Samsung as the largest purchaser of AMOLED displays in 2021. So this is the fun thing here, right? Apple and Samsung in competition. But guess what? Apple buys a lot of components from Samsung like their OLED displays in their phone. So the report says with the release of the iPhone 13 lineup, it's going to push the adoption of flexible AMOLED displays in iPhones up to 80% for that makeup, I guess, really kind of their whole product mix. And according to the report, Apple's expected to purchase 169 million display panels for this year's iPhone compared to 114.5 million of last year. So Samsung is happy about this. 
They have no problem with this whatsoever. OLED is the best display. I mean, when I talk about displays, it reminds me, the first thing that comes to mind right now is people are kind of debating the merits of, oh, the mini LED display uh, has some blooming on it or has some shadows on the edges versus the regular regular iPad Pro display. Some people like it, some people don't. And being a TV guy who has followed a lot of, you know, the display technology of the years, like mini LED does get as close as any display has ever gotten to OLED, but it still won't be as good as OLED because those are individual pixels being turned off or on to true black, whereas the mini LED display still has local dimming zones. So it can't be pixel specific. You will see a little blooming. I mean, here's the thing. You turn up both the 2021 iPad Pro with a mini LED display, top brightness. It's brighter than the current, or sorry, it's brighter than the 2020 iPad Pro and the 2018 that are using the same display. Turn the brightness all the way up. Watch a, a Dolby Vision video. You will see, you will instantly see the difference that the black levels on the mini LED, you get, you get those deep blacks. Okay, the previous iPad Pros, I mean, the background looks like, like a lightish black. I don't want to say it's gray, but you don't get deep blacks. It doesn't even support HDR. Now, where I've seen the blooming really show up more, and when I say blooming, it means kind of like the, uh, some people might kind of describe it as more like bleeding, where if you have a white dot on a black background, you can kind of see a halo or a little bit of fuzz around it. It's subtle. But cameras actually exaggerate that effect versus the naked eye. So every camera video that's recording, you know, dots against a black screen moving around, it's going to look really extreme and someone's going to be like, oh my God, this is horrible. I don't want that on my display. Look at it with your naked eye. It's not nearly as uh, extreme. You might see some, but overall for me, when I use the display, the deep black levels and true HDR, when you use HDR and you're never really, you're never watching something at full brightness, first of all, but that makes the display better for me. Now I do notice there's like a little subtle, subtle like shadow along the edge where the bezel is. I would have never noticed until someone said, hey, take a look at this. What do you think? And yeah, it's kind of there. So now it kind of bugs me, um, but it's not a deal breaker per se. I think honestly, overall, the benefits of mini LED on the new iPad Pro outweigh the previous display. It just does. And if you're not gonna try them and you're not gonna see them in person and you're gonna immediately write it off and you've never used it, I would say, check it out first. Of course, OLED is the top tier technology Micro LED will be next after that, even more efficient. Uh, I don't think there, it hasn't been proven that you can get any blacker than just turning a pixel off, but it'll be more energy efficient. It'll be able to maintain, at least over the lifetime, a uh, better color representation, you know, based on some of these uh, elements that an OLED organic display uses versus a micro LED. But that's in the future. We're not anywhere close to that in an iPad. We don't even have OLED in an iPad yet. Uh, so, I would just say when it comes to displays, displays matter. We obviously know ProMotion coming to the new iPhone 13 and then potentially, hopefully, uh, always on screen functionality and capability on the new iPhone Pro, iPhone 13 as well. But I wouldn't immediately write off the 2021 iPad Pro mini LED display just from what you see online. Um, if I have time to do a breakdown, maybe I will. Maybe the buzz of that will fade out. But I think people are, people are blowing it up. And I'm not defending Apple. I think... It's not. It's never going to be as good as OLED, but people are making it sound a lot worse. And again, I recorded some footage just with my iPhone camera, and I'm like, oh, wow, the blooming looks really bad on the camera, but in person, it doesn't look nearly as bad. So you got to keep that in mind. You want to keep something else in mind? How, how are you guys doing with your crypto? Are, are any of you into cryptocurrency? Like, I, for the record, 
am not, um, just because you're at the mercy of basically the tech world and these high-level people that have tons of money that dictate what happens with it. And sure, the stock market is similar like that, but more than anything, crypto is like that. And I just laugh so hard, even though I love and respect my peers. Uh, a lot of these tech YouTubers that are like trying to give financial advice about crypto, and they don't, they have no idea what's going on. They're just writing it. And it's good, it's good, and what's bad, they're like sad. It's like, stop. Like, don't even try to encourage people any type of financial advice because y'all don't, you really don't know squat. And that's why I'm not going to get into crypto. But you know who is? Apple, kind of. Apple is hiring for a business development manager with experience in alternative payments, including cryptocurrency. It was found in a recent job listing. Um, the job listing is also spotted by Coindesk, which is a website that explains that really Apple might be at least exploring the idea of accepting alternative payments and maybe Bitcoin or Dogecoin or other crypto, Ethereum is is what they want to, you know, at least kind of be ahead of the curve and accept this. Look, Elon Musk, if he puts out a tweet and it tanks uh, a crypto, that that's all I need to know that I'm not going to invest in anything like that. You're at the whims of just like one dude's tweet and that de- that determines your financial future. And hey, some people have made big money at it who invested a long, 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 long time ago. And I'm not hating on that, but no tech YouTubers should be giving financial advice when they literally just bought crypto like within the past year. Most of them, I was like, it's like, stop. That's me. I'm going to get off that. But anyways, Apple is working for someone with key qualifications, five years experience working with alternative payment providers such as digital wallets, fast payments, cryptocurrency, and others. Apple's getting a crypto, y'all. Apple coin. I'd probably buy some of that, actually. But I'm not, I'm not giving financial advice. I'm just saying I might buy that. <laughs> okay. So the other big thing that happened amongst all these announcements this week, Apple put out a press release, a news release, that they were going to support new formats, new audio formats to Apple Music coming in June. One of them is spatial audio with Dolby Atmos support. So what does that mean? Basically, right, that 3D surround sound feeling that you have that I always have talked about for years, like how much I love Dolby Atmos. Well, they're bringing spatial audio to music in Apple Music. Now, they have to work with specific artists to give you kind of this immersive feeling. The best way to describe it is really like Dolby Atmos for music where you can kind of hear instruments coming from different directions or you feel like you're kind of in a room with space. But it does take artists to rebuild and mix and create these tracks to support this. Sony has been really pushing this for a few years. Their format is called Sony uh, 360 Reality Music or 360 Reality Audio. And it, again, the thing is that that type of content is not readily available, meaning to hear this kind of, let's call it 3D audio in music, you know, you got to go to some certain music services. Tidal is one that supports the 360 Reality Audio, but... There's only like less than 200 tracks that support it. Amazon HD Music recently just started supporting some 3D tracks, audio tracks as well. I think theirs is like under 100. So it's not that prevalent. Now, Apple Music will be supporting this, but it's not also going to come to every single Apple track. That's the other thing that you have to remember. So it'll be limited to certain artists, but they're saying, you know, it will be coming, and to be aware of it, I mean, artists like Jay Balvin, Ariana Grande, Maroon 5, Casey Musgraves, and The Weeknd are on board 
for the spatial audio tracks. But the other thing is, or sorry, they're on board for the uh, lossless audio tracks. And that's really, really what I want to get at. Okay, so there's some confusion here about lossless audio because what happens here is there's different kind of qualities of audio that you listen to streaming. And then if you get, whether you're doing like, if you're an audiophile with specific hardware equipment to hear audio at its purest form, lossless audio sounds really exciting for you. But for the general consumer, when you're pitched as like, this is CD quality audio or higher, you're going to hear the audio exactly the way as intended. If you don't have the right equipment, you're, you're not going to be able to tell the difference. And most consumers don't. I mean, when we talk about the audiophile community, they're, they're investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in this stuff. But it is still cool that Apple is trying to offer lossless audio. But here's where it gets confusing. When they made this announcement, everyone's like, okay, well, what products does it work on? Well, right now, out of the gates, it's coming. Lossless audio is coming to what they said, over 75 million songs on Apple Music. Okay, it's using the ALAC format. That's the Apple Lossless Audio Codec. But HomePod, HomePod Mini, AirPods, AirPods Pro will not support the format on day one. Now, after that, everyone's like, what? So you're releasing a format that basically all your headphone products don't support. And the reason why is the bandwidth to get this high quality audio does not work. You won't hear it over Bluetooth. It doesn't support it. So, okay, then, so everyone kind of started ripping on Apple and I was, I was one of them. I'm like, that's a, I'm like, that's a bad Apple. Like, why are you going to put, put out this feature that you can't even take advantage of? Like someone who bought the iPads, AirPods, AirPods Max, (laughs) I can't even take advantage of it with the AirPods Max, which costs $550. So if you look at lossless audio, really kind of like there's going to be different tiers and the entry level tier and which is what is on most services is CD quality. So that's going to be a 16, 16 bit rate at 44.1 kilohertz. Then it goes up to 24 bit rate at 48 kilohertz. And that can be playable natively on Apple devices with a high, with a high speed connection, but not over Bluetooth. Like you have to have like a physical connection to hear this stuff, which means a headphone jack could have come in handy. Definitely could have come in handy. And then you have the highest, highest level called high resolution, lossless, 24-bit at 192 kilohertz. Now, here's the debate about lossless. You can offer it, but most, you why I say consumers won't really be able to take advantage of this, with the equipment they have, and even unless you have a super, super, super keen ear, which I don't even think I do, you most people won't really be able to detect it. But I do like that they're offering it. So Apple then, a couple days later, put out like another support document to kind of make it clear what's happening. And so we got some more information that at least the HomePod, the discontinued HomePod and the HomePod Mini will support Apple lossless because they'll be able, they're able to get the data directly through a high-speed connection and then play it directly from the device. You don't even have to hook up anything to it. It's just pure data. Um, again, the HomePod is discontinued. So are we, are we getting a new HomePod to support this lossless format or, or not? So that was kind of confusing. And let's be real. I'm not listening to a lossless audio on a HomePod mini. I've heard that thing. It sounds all right. It does not. It, I would be extremely surprised if I could really hear a massive distinction in audio quality from a HomePod mini 
It's a HomePod Mini playing lossless. Like, it's for enough to me to be like, damn. I think I could probably hear it on the regular HomePod because that thing sounds damn good. So those two devices will end up supporting it with a software update, but still any of the wireless AirPods, AirPods Pro, AirPods Max going wireless will not. But then they said AirPods Max will support lossless audio, kind of. And why I'm saying it like that, kind of, is they said, hey, if you use the Lightning, the 3.5 millimeter audio jack, uh, digital audio converter or DAC, you'll be able to listen to lossless. But because of the conversion, you still won't really be able to truly hear lossless at its highest level, but you'll kind of be able to hear lossless. So ultimately, as it stands today, Apple lossless will eventually be able to be played on HomePod and HomePod mini, but not on any of Apple's wireless earbuds or headphone products. And kind of if you plug in an AirPods Max to a source. So there you go. That, that, is, your, that is your lossless breakdown of the week or of eternity. I, I, think, I, I, think, I'm, I think I'm good there. All right, everybody. That is going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for hanging out. You know, WWDC 21 is coming, and I hope you all come out to the live stream that I do. It's really fun. There's a massive community that watches it all together, and the chat room gets wild. So go to my YouTube when that happens. But for those of you who are supporting this show, thank you so much. We got to give some shout outs to our Patreon supporters at the $100 Platinum Apple level. Come on now, y'all are crazy. Brandon Ledford, Gil Cabrera, Wesley Frater, Jarrett Lewis, and Atari Koenigsegg. Thank you so much for your support. You can support all my content, everybody. Patreon.com slash Brian Tong. And um, I did do a little bonus on my tiers. If you are a Platinum Apple $100 supporter, I'm going to go over to the Apple store in Cupertino every time I go back home, which is once a month to the Bay Area. You can only get those shirts only at that store, nowhere else. And I will get you a shirt in your size because you're supporting me so crazy like that. I mean, it's the least I could do that you allow me to keep in this game doing this. And I am also getting a few shirts that I will randomly select Patreon supporters to give out to. But if you're the Platinum Apple, you're you're just going to get one as part of just supporting. And there's also all these other different rewards at different tiers. But uh, check it out, patreon.com slash Tom. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this week. We will talk to you soon. See you next time. We'll be back. Same bat time, same bat channel. It's the Apple Bits XL, baby. Peace.